On the 25th of April, to mark Italy's Liberation Day, we chose to show documentary Bella Ciao, Song of Rebellion, by Millstream Films. Bella Ciao traces the history of the iconic revolutionary song, from its obscure roots, through its use by partisans in Italy, and its growing popularity and perhaps commercialization through things like its use in the series Money Heist or random Korean adverts for burgers. We were absolutely delighted to have Paul Russell and Andrea Vogt come and join us for a post-film discussion about the film, about Bella Ciao and the song's legacy, about its origins and what it means to so many people around the world, especially in the context of the rise of the far right in Italy. Okay, wonderful. So, obviously, I think we can all agree that was glorious. Um, very, very informative. Um, it was wonderful to watch. I had the privilege of watching it at home as well today. Um, and yeah, it's an absolutely wonderful film, very expansive. So, thank you so much. This is Andrew Vogt, director, and Paul Russell, producer. I think big round of applause for them. No, it was absolutely glorious. Um, it, it had special resonance with me. My father was a communist during the Second World War um, and then involved with the partisans as well. And I was, I was fascinated. <laughs> I had to laugh to myself at um, Eve's story, him being a communist and his wife a Roman Catholic, because my father was a communist and my mother was a Christian and it was an interesting household growing up with those two polar views. So, um, <laughs> oh really, okay. But it's a wonderful film. I mean, what we're going to do, I have a few questions myself, and then we'll throw it open to the audience and um, see if anyone has anything for Andrea and Paul. But I think first off, I mean, it must have been a extremely expansive project to produce. It must have taken years, surely, and it must have also evolved throughout because of the inclusion of Money Heist. And I mean, how long did it take you, really, from start to finish to produce the film? Uh, it started in. Uh, is this working? Uh, it started working. Uh, we started working on it in 2019. Uh, actually, uh, we just finished another big film, and our co-producer uh, Tony Verona of Alla Bianca, who uh, actually manages the rights to Bella Ciao as owned by the Ernesto Di Martino Foundation, uh, told us about it, and so we decided it would be a good idea to make make a film about it. And then we started researching it. Then COVID happened, so we had lots of time, and uh, and it was became more and more fascinating by the day. As it uh, and not only more and more fascinating, but also had more and more implications for today. Uh, that's why we were so fascinated by it. We thought it was a great story to tell, um, and uh, it, it's obviously because of COVID, it took us a lot more, a long, a lot longer than we w would usually have taken. But uh, on the other hand. That also gave us an opportunity to, to go deeper into the roots, and I'll pass the mic back to Andrea on that. I would say that it it was it baffled us. We, it, we found it was a it was a mystery, so we couldn't solve it. We couldn't find out where the song came from exactly, and that created more and more desire to do more research. I'm from an investigative journalism background, and uh, I wanted documents. I wanted to see paper witnesses and so we kept digging we kept digging we found the priest who had written down about the massacre we found the letter from lydia stocks who was the russian partisan we cross-referenced that with the commander 
Paolo Orlandini, the partisan commander, who actually passed away three weeks after we conducted that interview. So thank goodness we were able to encapsulate it because those kinds of testimonies are, are going to, they're disappearing. There are very few partisans uh, commanders left and we were so glad to be able to catch that and, and protect that, um, that story and then cross-reference it with documents to be able to prove one element of the mystery, which is that the song was sung by partisans. And part of the problem today is there is a lot of historical revisionism. We're seeing a lot of people say, well, no, it wasn't really sung by the partisans. Opinion this, opinion that. Can we prove it? We wanted to do that. We wanted to go deep into the research to say, yes, this was a song sung during the war. Why do you, why do you think there is that revisionism now? I mean, I know well, the answer. <laughs> well, the revisionism goes back a long way. Uh, it's not just it's not just the result of the uh, recent elections. The re revisionism is to do with uh, an attempt to. Uh, it goes back to when uh, the Christian and the communist elements in Italian society merged, and there's an attempt on the one side to detach. Uh, this symbol of the left from that p particular party. And if you can prove that it's not, it wasn't sung by the partisans, then it hasn't got those roots in Italian culture that means it, has to, it, it is sung at, uh, at every occasion on the 1st of May and on the 25th of April. If that doesn't happen, then you, you lose a symbolic, uh, and you know how, how, much, how much symbolism is important in all pol politics, you lose an important symbol of the resistance and they're trying to basically merge the resistance into the background and say well you know the fascists and the, co and the communists are almost the same and it's you know uh, and that's that's that is that's what's happening today I mean you can see it under your you, for, for yourself no absolutely and I, I think it's a very important point I, I, I also just want to touch a bit more on the film because there was also an awful lot of people involved um, behind the project you want to just talk about who else was um, involved in, in, in yes. getting this together yeah I have to I have to thank a lot of people apart from Andrea of course <laughs> who was very important in this uh, in the whole project and uh, but we have uh, two people in particular from us uh, from our who are also our partners in our company uh, Alex Scott uh, and Alessandro Lucchini, who were fundamental. Alex Scott as the editor, uh, who brought together all those funny moments that we, I, I, like, yeah, uh, and and merged them all into some, into a into a um, a visual narrative that we can we followed, which keeps the, the attention going. Um, uh, at least I speak for myself. I tend to be a little bit more in too intellectual and often lose the plot of the visual plot. Uh, then uh, we have mainly uh, Tony Verona, who is the owner of Alla Bianca uh, uh, Music Group, who's, uh, who, who saved Bella Ciao from oblivion uh, in the at the end of the 1980s when uh, Ernesto de Martino was going bankrupt. And he saved the, uh, the whole collection by gave them giving them some money and started commercializing uh, the song, saved it and, and allowed us to use it in our film. So we have exclusive rights. And of course, there are all those other people that we, we've met. You know, you've, uh, there must be 30 interviews in there. Uh, and each one uh, dedicated a couple of hours to us. So very important. But how did you select what to, if, if you're talking a couple of hours per interview, how on earth did you select what to put in then? Um, that must have been an arduous, 
arduous task maybe it was a world? nightmare yeah. it was really really hard each interview was at least two hours i mean two hours with uh paolo pietrangeli or giovanna marini we put in for example the anecdote about pasolini which is not really about bella Ciao, but how could we leave it on the cutting room floor we had to put it in the film um and so that was a very very arduous task it was probably the hardest part and Paolo Orlandini as well. Um, I would say that uh, I just wanted to also uh, thank the Association of Italian Partisans, ANPI, who gave us patronage and um, who decided that this film actually represented the truth about Bella Ciao from their perspective, and they were very supportive and, and helped us uh, at least morally. There was no, we self-financed the film, um, but their help helped open up a lot of theaters. Also, um, the archival was very difficult as far as uh, we got archival from the, the United States um, military and government archives, the British uh, Pathé. Also, we went to the um, workers, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the workers' union um, in Italy and Rome to get the old footage of the Festa dell'Unità and the uh, footage of the, the so the the singers, for example, when then we went to Germany. We went to the German Bundesarchiv to get the <laughs> very strange um, festival of political song, where you have the the German folk singers singing back in the 1970s. So that also was a surprise. The research took us to Berlin. We didn't expect to find a German angle to Bella Ciao, but it it popped out at us. And we could have continued. They're singing it now in the piazzas in Ukraine, uh, in Iran. Uh, our film came out before that, but um, I think I think we haven't heard the end of the song. Definitely. No, I don't think so at all. Um, and it, it's the the history behind it is fascinating. I mean, there's clearly a debate maybe over not least the origin of the song but the meaning of the song because we see during the partisans it was resistance then after the second world war a song of freedom um what after researching it so extensively and and you must have heard the song in its various guises i wouldn't want to count how many times surely uh, what is your interpretation of Bella Chow, do you think? What is, the, what is it? Is it? Is it a love song, as the gentleman said towards the end? Is it a song of resistance? Is it a song of freedom? What for you, after these years of research, is Bella Chow? I believe it's a song uh, of resistance, but that can be, like Giovanna Marini said, that can be adapted to whichever marginalized party is singing it. So the women were singing it in the Rizaya, and I do believe that that was pre-World uh, War II. And so I think it, it began, like she said, as a, as a song of resistance in the rice paddy fields, and then moved on to a song of resistance that uh, the partisans were singing in, in, uh, in World War II, and then moved on to be a song of resistance in Occupy Wall Street or uh, the Arab Spring. So um, it, it definitely, like Pietrangeli said, it's, you know, its mark is to be anti-fascist. And, and from the women who were um, speaking out against their, their bosses in the, in the fields to uh, today's piazzas, I believe that that is the thread, the narrative thread that, that holds true. That's my perspective. Yeah, I think that's true. There's, I would add that the uh, the origins of the song are a very sad, uh, you know, is a very sad song about love, about this uh, this poor young young girl who uh, sees her lover with another woman and decides to commit suicide. We we don't we don't go into that very much because it's slightly off theme, but it is a song about suffering. That's for sure, and it always ends 
with a death and a flower. So it's quite, it's a romantic death and a romantic suffering. It's romanticized, but it is about suffering. There's no doubt about it. It's not about, I mean, it's not about winning anything. It's about resisting against suffering. No, it's, uh, I think, and your film portrays that, and you, uh, I'm sure you'll do. You come away f after watching it, feeling, feeling that absolutely. That's that's borne out wonderfully during the film. So, um, you an exceptional job there. It, does anyone in the audience have any questions? We have a we have a roving mic. If anyone would like to ask Andrea or Paul anything. I'm just if it's any. Yep, we have a hand up over there. Abla's coming with her mic. Yeah. Oh, we're doing Pass It Along. Lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I just wanted to make an observation. Um, we're both musicians. We sing. Uh, my wife sings. I play the drums. We do this song on most of our gigs. Um, for us, it's um, a pro-European, anti-Brexit uh, <laughs> orientated piece of music. <laughs> that's our angle. As uh, that's our generation. That's our <coughs> that's our political angle. We had a dinner party with a young German lady who grew up in the DDR, and we were rather horrified when we announced <laughs> that we did this song. And she looked at us. The mood changed, mm -hmm. and she says, "I hate this song." And we we went well. What? <laughs> and she said, I was forced to sing this song throughout my childhood. And for me, uh, it's a song of oppression. And we were shocked and surprised and rather horrified. Hasn't stopped us doing the song, by the way, <laughs> because uh, for us, uh, my wife's grandmother was a partisan, an Italian partisan. So there's a different narrative for us in the West. I just thought it was worth making this point. It kind of came out in your film with the Yves Montand 68 um, section. But um, I just thought I'd mention this because there is a, another angle for a certain group of people in a certain part of the world where the song becomes a rather sinister state repression anthem. And I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, as I say, it hasn't changed our outlook and we continue w and will continue to sing it and play it. Thank you. Thank you. Your your anecdote uh, just is is very um, is is a relief to hear because we we put this story of the DDR and Bella Ciao behind the Iron Curtain in because we too were were shocked by this account of this young man saying he was forced to sing it around the campfire and then when we heard um, uh, Yves Montan's wife say he didn't sing that song after the Prague Spring for uh, 15 years until he sang it for the Chileans. We were we were shocked by how much of an impact um, and how ter terrible it was for so many people uh, that they even refused to the sing the song anymore. So that was the point in the film that we tried ever so slightly to touch on that element. There was a lot. I was shocked. We were we were shocked by how complicated, how complex this film was to to make. Let's not forget that we're talking about from 1930 to 2023. That's you know, 80 years of history to put into 90 minutes with archive and multiple wars and multiple countries and multiple poli delicate political perspectives. So it was much, we bit off much more than, than we could chew. At least I, I thought we did, but I, I, I hope that we've done 
uh, the song and the history of the song Justice. Yeah, can I just add something on that? As, as a matter of fact, we didn't put into the film, uh, obviously because we didn't have time and there's a lot of it's left on the cutting room floor, um, our German interviewee actually says uh, that they were very disillusioned by the DDR and that they that they were actually repressed. Their Hootenanny clubs became singing clubs because they couldn't call it with an English name, and then and and they were censored heavily and they were they were very disillusioned by it. They continued singing, they continued doing it because that's what they did, uh, and they hoped for a, a better DDR. But I think that they all came out thinking. There are some people who are st still quite nostalgic about it as well because you know it was order, it was it was they knew where they stood and everything was that they had all had jobs and all that. But they uh, but he certainly, unfortunately, we couldn't put it into the film. You know, we actually we cut it out uh, when he says uh, we were actually forced to to change our change our attitude to to all these Western songs. They managed in the first. Uh, they first managed to get all the t all the songs. They published the records, and then it was all st shut down. So yeah, I mean, we obviously uh, Lutz does know. I mean, lived through it. So he, he we could we could do a series. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the it's the it's the tip of an iceberg, really. I mean, not that he, you can't do. You, we can't actually say much more than we've we've said, unfortunately. But I mean, not that anybody would watch. But uh, the uh, but for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he too. Although he was part of it, part of the system, realizes that it was a, an oppressive system. I think you may have also noticed it would have been very easy to veer off course to El Pueblo Unido or uh, All Fiscal Vento, all the other protest songs, If I Had a Hammer. Each of those songs has an incredible story, and it made us think, what, wouldn't it be great to do a series of prote uh, on protest songs and the history behind them all? So we tried to get a little bit into each one of them with the, you know, with the Jose Seves talking about the difference or the what they had in common songs like El Pueblo Unido and uh, Bella Ciao, but uh, but not go too far off the path. So it was Otherwise a delicate you would have balance. Had hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was. I thought it was fairly uh, brilliant how he musically uh, transitioned from Bella Ciao into El Pueblo Unido. And, and in fact, we'd we'd like to have more music if we had more time because those were, I think, partly the most poetic moments of the film. I agree. I'm a, I'm a musician by trade many years ago, and I, I thought that was the most fascinating, as you say, poetic part of the film. Um, no, it was beautifully, beautifully done. Is there anyone else with a question? Oh, at the front. I can see you easily. Um, first of all, thank you, because that, that was a great way to celebrate the Liberation Day for me today. <laughs> um... um do you think that it's so? Because one of the main question is that why is Bellage House so popular and why has it been going on for so long? And maybe the reason why it's so popular is because it's so rooted in something that maybe we will never find out. Like all the songs that you mention, I know all of them. I've never sung um, those songs as many times as Bella Child. Like my mom would sing it to me while I was sleeping. Like it, it was an obsession. So maybe that could be one of the, um, one of the like the answers. Like we will never get to the complete root of this song because it's so old and it has so much to do with history. That I think it like it's beautiful, but it's also like oh, we will never find out where it came. It's also very simple. 
yeah, I would just say that um, indeed we sort of threw up our hands, threw in the, <laughs> you know, the towel and said, we're not going to solve this. Let's just show its complexity. I mean, when Giovanna Marini says it goes back to, you know, the, the Greek scale, you know, and she says something else that didn't make it in the film was when she talked about Dante. So she, she takes it way back and we thought, this is impossible. We're not going to get there. So let's just try to show how we came to know it today and tell that story. As Paul said, it's also very simple and uh, uh, the rhythm is it's, it's easy to pick up and the clapping, um, it's almost a song that, that the children also can, you know, it's a, it's a, a lullaby many times for many people. And I thought it was interesting how Alex Pina talked about how it can be happy, it can be sang melancholy, it can be sang with many different different rhythms. So it does have that that um, that variety that you can change it. Um, I I think I think you're right. I think the mystery is part of the attraction of Bella Ciao. Yeah, I mean they've, we've we've seen uh, about five or six different versions, uh, five or six different adaptations in the film as they are i mean uh, also musically they, they, it, it's so it is very it can be varied uh but i think that apart from that it is it is like all traditional songs very simple like like uh what's it uh, uh like um fra martino how's that what's that in english frere jacques frere jacques no, it's not Frere Jacques with the Bella Ciao melody, but it's <laughs> 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 uh, they're, they're all they're all ancient melodies that probably were sung even before the Middle Ages. It's just it's just you know, the, a natural pros you know, progression. Probably goes back to Roman times. I mean, who knows? Simple. The main thing is it's simple. So I, I just want to add my thoughts on that as well, because as as was said in the film as well, it's that fourth, isn't it? it, it, it yes. It's the fourth, which is so immediately endearing to 99% of people's ear, I think, which also makes it, and, and the repetition on the chorus. It's, it, musically, is, it is simple, but it's wonderfully constructed, even for its end. That's the beauty of music. Quite often the most simple melodies and arrangements and rhythms are actually the most beautiful and the most... Um, the I suppose they have the most collective appeal, almost. And that collective appeal, you know, ends up in a Korean ad for uh, Champ Hamburg. hamburger, <laughs> which is opens up a whole new can of worms, which we barely touched on. Which was, it does the commercialization of the song weaken it? Does it? Does it? What do you think? Um, I think it. I think it does. Uh, but what you know, Giovanna Marini said it best when she said, this is the society we live in. And Alex Pina defends the other side, saying the commercialization has made it even bigger, better, more powerful with more people uh, through, through Money Heist. So we left that there just as a debatable point. We tried not to take, take, a, take a stance, let him say it, let Giovanni Marina, Marini say the other side, and then show sort of how far it's gone <laughs> with the Korean commercial. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't add anything, anything else. To that. I mean, it, yeah, basically, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's been hurt in any way because the more people who, who it, I think it makes people think. You know, uh, first of all, they, they they sing it, then they recognize it, they then they think about where it comes from, and then they understand what it means. It could be it can start with advertising and end up in politics. You know. It could. It doesn't always work the other way around. No, it's fascinating. I mean, and also, as I suppose, on that point, 
the more it seeps into the public psyche, none of us ever know when actually there might be that spark which will light up everyone's imagination and, and, and consciousness, I suppose, when actually then it will come full circle again. And people go, I didn't realise that song was about that. Actually, now I understand. And that this is why it's so important at this, at this time. Because we saw it with the climate protests in the film, the situation in Chile in the film. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm on the fence with the commercialisation. It's kind of difficult. I, I'll probably wake up tomorrow morning and feel completely different. Um, is there any more questions from the audience? Anyone have anything or any thoughts? Uh, firstly, thank you so much for such an amazing piece of work. Um, as my partner was saying, that it was my grandmother who was a, a partisan, my mum's mum. She was just 19 and I didn't grow up with her so I didn't know anything about what she did. I didn't know anything about the song until coming to it as an adult and as a musician myself. But I, I, we, when we do play the song, we sort of have to explain the story of it. First. Well, the, the lyrics is in the partisan version because what I found happens is people do listen and respond to the music probably because of the language we do it in like four or five different European languages and so you're not expecting that everyone would understand the lyrics but I noticed that people lock into the rhythm and lock into the the sort of the the jubilant <laughs> aspect of it and if you don't contextualize it then it kind of is a bit odd because it's a very sad moving lyric you know it's 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 full of the paper yes it's full of obviously the resistance and the and the, the sense of I'm going to win this even if I die because I've done it my way um, but if you don't have that uh, context around it I think it does lose something so I would say putting it in at, what was it the burger <laughs> thing is insane personally <laughs> i mean okay maybe it helps to hit, keep the music of it alive but i think it's also really important to remember where it came from um and on that point i i wasn't totally um clear about the the, the beginning origins i'd always sort of known about it as the mondina um tradition and less so about the the song the personal song of the the woman who lost her lover um and even that that version is very sad isn't it because as i understand it the the women who worked in those paddy fields many of them were were sort of like refugees or uh you know probably women with very few rights and so i think there's pathos throughout all the versions of it and that's and uh, for to me, as a as a singer and as a lyricist, that's that's almost more important than anything else about it. But thank you so much for all you did. It's it's been amazing to watch. Thank you very much. I, I'd add to that that we f forget that um, fascist Italy was extremely poor, yeah. and uh, fascism does not bring prosperity. So the uh, uh, the Abruzzi women who went to to the uh, Piemonte paddy fields went because they had to not because they wanted to uh, and so that's so the sense of suffering in this song is what drags it along I mean apart from the rhythm and the, and the easy lyrics the sense of suffering it is the tomb with a flower on it it's not a cross it's not anything else it's just a flower and in the shadow of the flower the, the partisan will remember a dead person you know uh, so it's, it is extremely sad but it's a love song uh, and I think that that's the spirit of uh, of what happened in 
uh, under fascist in fascist Italy, a very poor country, um, in which people's in which people had to move long distances to get any work whatsoever to feed their families. Uh, the, the, the hype that the fact that Mussolini made the trains work on time and drained the, the marshes is like you know the tip of an iceberg of suffering and pain. Sorry, and so uh, so pertinent now, isn't it, with what's happening in Italy again, and you know, the narrative about refugees, and you know, it couldn't be more pertinent. So, it, it is the right moment. Yeah. It is the right moment to keep singing Bella Ciao. Yeah, yeah Joe came up on my phone earlier. The government ministers, the government minister said about um, an hour ago um, that refugees are a threat to the social cohesion of our country and that, that you know this just flashed up on my phone as a Guardian article and that's just one example of why that song is so relevant now I think um, I, just to sum up because I know we are on the clock obviously how are we doing for time yeah we're good excellent does anyone have any more thoughts or questions Anyone? Anyone? Perfect. I'm, I'm interested in how you feel on a personal level about the film, actually, because when you looked at it in the round, you've created... I mean, I don't want to... <laughs> it's hard, it, it, I suppose it's hard in many respects to overstate. You've actually created a wonderful historical document here because this, th this expansive history of the song, coupled with what are now archived interviews of people who sadly aren't going to be around for much longer or as you andrea rightly pointed out have passed since we will never get this testimony again um not least about the song but also of the partisans during um mussolini's reign and, and the second world war i mean how does it feel to have created not just a film but an actual piece of living history now if you like that, that that will now live and and tell these stories and continue to tell these stories and have these people's voices on record how does that feel on a personal level for you for me it's been um it's been the most important project i've ever worked on and the most gratifying um but also very difficult we self-financed it we didn't have much time um, I would I would have loved more money, bigger budget, and more time. Of course, like all directors say, um, but also I think we can go back to it. I think there's more that can be done with those archived interviews, and I, I don't think I'd like to do more. Um, I'd like to pluck out some of the other pieces that hit the cutting room floor and 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 do something else or a podcast. There's a lot of music that we didn't use, um, but for me, being able to protect those stories and and cross-reference them with other documents and at least um, show without a doubt that this song was a part of the partisan resistance. For me, um, that was that was huge because no more can anyone get up and say, well, it was or it wasn't or it's my opinion. I don't think it was saying, now we know and, and we know because there are documents and oral uh, testimonies that cross-reference one another and uh, that came from different and very varied aspects of our research that we drew together for me that was uh, um, a mountain that we were able to climb and a, a huge goal and even though it's a low budget film um, we put our, our heart and soul into it and so did all of the editors and the crew who worked on it and I think that that even though there wasn't we didn't have a big budget I think that you can feel that um, even the editors how they how they 
use the music so delicately to transition from one song to the next or one part of the film to the other. It just shows that it was a labor of love. Well, I can't really add very much more than that. Uh, yeah, it's it was it, for us in all in all the films we make uh, since the right from the beginning. You know, we've made a hundred films, by the way, in the last ten years. So uh, every single film has been checked, cross-checked. Uh, we tend to be slightly overbearing, a bit a bit dense, maybe. You know, people have criticised us because we're dense. Uh, we have a lot of information in our films. Sometimes, no, I don't mean we're dense like thick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're thick at all. I think we're quite clever, actually. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's our films are quite dense. Has a lot of information in them. We we, we like to do that because I mean, we're we get involved in them. So we, uh, and since we are completely independent and nobody f nobody tells us what to do or what to say, uh, we have uh, all our contracts, uh, you know, or pre-acquisitions. We we just we we have total freedom. And total control, and we promise our interviewees that we will not be forced by one person or another. And that's also one one of the, the beauties of this. That's why we had a, such a low budget, because we also, um, how can I put it, we um, we lost a contract with a big broadcaster for different reasons, not to do with the film, but for uh, almost political reasons, let's say political reasons. But that gave us an independence. So we had, we had a rush to get our film out early, and so... I think uh, I disagree with Andrea on this. I think the lower the budget, the better. It makes you work harder and think faster. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know we 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 did struggle, but we're independent. We're we're we stayed indie. We self-financed. We didn't take any, you know, we didn't uh, have any sponsor sponsorization, and um, and so. We, but we wrote all the scripts ourselves and found all the research and every single letter. It, you know, and we found letters from dusty archives and um, some of this stuff, you know, it's never been published before. It's absolutely new and original research. And I think, I think we've taken the, that, uh, the story forward. And just on the, on the point you made, actually, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm interested working in, you know, independent media myself. Given the, um, how shall I put it, not just in this country, but we've seen it in the US as well, recently with um, Fox News and Tucker Carlson. Um, given the trajectory of the more corporate media, do you think independent media, especially in film, but also journalism, is more important than it ever has been now? Because there is, there is this, within the corporate media, this real polarisation to both the left and the right in, in some respects. Do you think independent media is important? And do you think it's going to survive as well? Because I know personally, I know a lot of independent outlets who are really struggling at the minute um, financially as well. I think it will. Uh, to answer your last question first, uh, it will survive because also... Um, the costs of producing are, are much lower, which is also a problem because a lot of people who are not um, professionally prepared get into this into production and, and and you know make films that com for films for purely commercial reasons that though then go and and uh, and clog up let's say the uh, the schedules of the big broadcasters. We work in factual only, so we only make documentaries and uh, so and we don't do news. Uh, although Andrea does as a, as a journalist, but uh, we don't we don't do news. Uh, so we uh, so what we we can do uh, also because we live in Italy and we have access to these. And we have to say that we have access in Italy to incredible uh, cinematographers, uh, DOPs, uh, editors, p 
people who are very very visual in their in their approach so we're very lucky to have that and we th i think that if if you can work on a small budget uh there's always going to be space for this kind of as long as there are thinking people around uh there's there's always going to be space for this kind of film uh, i don't think i think eventually the big corporate uh medias are going to kill themselves i mean they're just going to that's going to explode. They, their costs are going to go uh, you know, over the top, and they just they'll, they'll become self-referential. They already are self-referential, uh, and so they'll lose contact. Like many of the politicians have lost contact with the real people, and that's why we think I'm, I'm an optimist. And I, I I think that independent people like us, as long as we can survive on small budgets and you know live a happy life making doing what we do, um, we'll go on doing it. At least uh, I, d I don't have a you know I'm old so I don't I'm I, I'm going to do it for not a long a long time but Andrea is much younger she'll do it for not much long, longer than me. Well, I I hope so. I think that uh, I <laughs> 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 tall. <laughs> uh, I I think that um, it it is a it's a luxury, but uh, writing our own scripts and being able to. I mean, never having had a correction or an error or in a lawsuit, I mean, so long as you're being very careful. But, you know, there are many people probably like us who are not as careful, and lies then get recirculated, which is very dangerous. And we've seen that even with Bella Chow, with uh, documentaries claiming that, uh, that the partisans never sang it. Um, and so um, it's, it's also dangerous that anyone can do it. Um, so it's sort of, it, you know, there's there's now a level where if you have an iPhone and and movie maker, you can almost make a documentary. Um, but I think that um, independent this is a great moment for independent film uh, because there is so much opportunity uh, on the platforms and with content, and um, they're losing control. They're losing their grip. The big uh, corporate media uh, behemoths and I think um, that's a good thing for people like us. Well I have to agree with that obviously as an independent journalist so <laughs> of course. Um, as to wrap up on that note actually as well and it, it will tie this all together nicely what what have you got in the pipeline at Millstream Films what's what's coming up? Um, Yeah, another music documentary. Well, we have lots. We have lots, and unfortunately, we have to survive. So we make we make a lot of films. Uh, but uh, one, the, a big, big project going forward uh, that's already taken us two years just to get to this point, and this is really just to find the d right director and to put together a minimum of financing is the story uh, of the voice of Africa, Miriam Makeba, and um, uh, and this is a fortuitous again. I mean, somebody up there or up there or somewhere is piloting us because we came across this uh, opportunity uh, by chance by a number of people who suggested it. Well, we had this in uh, in mind, and then other people opened some doors for us, and you know, one thing led to another, and so we're in a position now to start uh, pitching it as a project. And uh, it is another story of resistance, another story of of suffering, and another story of great music. Um, and uh, and Andrea, I'm sure, has a lot to add. Well, I would just say that we have on board um, a young African-American woman, a director who's from of Somali origins, and um, that's a huge step forward. Also, um, I've done quite a few Freedom of Information Act requests uh, with the United States government and discovered that she was absolutely under huge FBI surveillance from the moment she ever stepped on American soil. 
And so there's going to be actually a lot of great investigative angles. She was married to Stokely Carmichael, who was a Black Panther, um, and was you know very involved in the Black Power movement. Uh, and so what will be shocking will be the uh, resistance she was facing um, that has never been made public, but we'll, we will be making that public. It'll be a small part of the film, but it will be in there, and again, with original documents that we've unearthed. Um, so I'm really excited to see, uh, to have an African-American woman on board, young, um, and to bring, she knows Miriam McCabe's music, I think she's the right person to tell the story, um, and it's, it's going to be complicated as well, because Miriam McCabe um, is a, was a global, global star um, who found, uh, who was, of course, um, exiled from the United States of America, um, but then came back after Nelson Mandela asked her to sing and was brought back in by the Clinton administration. And then she died in Italy, which is part of the story of how we came upon her story um, while doing uh, a concert uh, on behalf of um, of the uh, Roberto Saviano against the mafia in the south of Italy, so it's a it's an incredible story that that ends in Italy, um, and and begins in South Africa and crosses through uh, the United States of America and even London and uh, Venice. So it's a it's another one of these stories that's going to take us all over the world. Be very difficult, but we're really excited about it. Another big music documentary. So. Look forward to that. As a musician and as a journalist, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, so it sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, look, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I think we can all agree that the film was it was enlightening, it was engaging, it was moving at points, but absolutely fascinating. And this wonderful so historical document, it was really quite something to watch. And as I say, I was, I was really privileged to watch it thank twice. You for, you thank you for so your thoughtful questions. And oh, for what pleasure. a wonderful audience. It's a great yeah. way for us, too, to celebrate the 25th of April. Thank you. Grazie mille. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming out to watch the film. We do hope we'll see you again sometime. We'll be doing more of these screenings. But for the minute, thank you, and have a safe journey home. Okay? Thank you so much.